Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 121. We have to take care of her. This week, we're discussing season 5, episode 9 of Buffy, Listening to Fear, and series 8, episode 7 of Doctor Who, Kill the Moon. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, so I think you have a little production note to mention, but first I want to kind of point out the wonderful timeliness of this episode in which we talk about two episodes which feature the moon quite heavily, and it is also the week of the super blood moon here uh, on planet Earth in the year 2015, so... um, Yeah. I'm not quite sure what that means about the state of the fetus that is currently gestating inside the moon. Um, right, right. Well, we still have another, but what, we don't, like 40 yeah, or 30 Yeah, hopefully, hopefully everything is, is smooth sailing from here on. So yeah. Um, yeah. anyway, it just felt very appropriate to be watching these episodes over the last couple of days. So um, yeah, I was happy definitely. about that. Definitely. Um, uh, okay, but we're and, not quite, we're going to start there. We're going to start with, Buffy uh, listening to fear right. and see what kind of wacky hijinks the moon has people getting up to this week. <laughs> All those wacky <laughs> hijinks of murdering people and wacky lunar influence. So um, crazy people. Yeah. So I, uh, before we kind of got into it, I did want to mention, and I don't, I don't think we had brought her up before. I usually do try to mention new writers, mm-hmm. but they become rarer as this series goes along. So sure. um, I think I had missed, um, the writer of this episode, uh, Rebecca Rand Kirshner, who uh, actually now is known, um, she has a different last name now, she is Rebecca Sinclair. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, she uh, had previously written um, just one episode in season five here, and that's the episode Out of My Mind, which <laughs> seems kind of appropriate given um, sort of the crazy stuff that goes on in this episode. Yeah. And I mean that literally, like, the people who are crazy mm-hmm. and doing that. But um, that's also the episode. So we kind of get, um, I was saying like, it, we don't get a lot of resolution because we're coming up like middle of the season. Right. Like we're actually building tension still. Um, so rather than sort of resolving things that happened and out of my mind, things like Joyce collapsing, um, meeting Ben for the first time, uh, you know, um, I, that's not the episode where we get like the first crazy guy yelling at, um, Dawn, but you know, it is, it is sort of like this introductory stuff. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting sort of a double down on those ideas where we're getting more, you know, craziness and more, uh, you know, we're getting more, uh, you know, Joyce is obviously going into surgery. So now, you know, that thing that started is just sort of a fainting spell has become, you know, much more serious. The, um, you know, the other stuff with Dawn, like people sort of, that that's also where like, right before Joyce faints, she like sees, you know, and says something to Don about her not being real. Like, who are you or something like that? Like something very subtle, but like now we're getting more of that. And obviously we'll talk about sort of the end of the episode when um, Joyce realizes that Don isn't her biological child um, and that sort of thing. So uh, I did want to just point that out. Um, So Rebecca Kirshner hyphen, I guess Sinclair, uh, has gone on to do a bunch of other things. Actually, before Buffy, 
she wrote an episode of Freaks and Geeks, mm -hmm. um, which is a great show. Mm -hmm. um, uh, she also went on to uh, uh, be a co-executive producer for Gilmore Girls. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the reboot of the 90210 series. Um, and she's done some other stuff too. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, those are all pretty, well, I, I don't know about 90210. I didn't watch the reboot. Um, but the other shows certainly are, are ones that I would put in the favorable column. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, you know, good stuff there. Yeah. Um, cool. Anyway, so just wanted to bring, and, and I, you know, I'll mention up front that, uh, she does continue on uh, through the rest of Buffy, through the rest of the series. Um, not a ton of episodes, but like two or three each season. So mm -hmm. uh, we get some we get some more good stuff from her uh, throughout. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. yeah, it's always interesting when there's the kind of like sequel to something they did earlier. So, you know, yeah. you kind of see like, you know, how they're kind of the one who's sort of given the job of like fostering along these little ideas and themes and stuff, which is interesting yeah. to see. Um, so well, this, it, especially when like, you know, things happen like with David Fury, who, you know, in real me basically right. created Don's character right. whole cloth. Right. Like, you know, we knew Don was coming and Joss sort of had this idea of who she was, but he kind of said to David Fury, like, her personality, her desires, her, you know, all of those sorts of things, you know, her, her sort of crush on Xander that mm -hmm. we kind of get a little insight into, um, all of that stuff sort of is created. And now, you know, he's not a new writer in at right. Buffy at that point, but, um, you know, that same kind of thing where it's just like, it is interesting to sort of see how things play out later. Um, and I think, I mean, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say too, how much of this is sort of Joss's plan for the arc of this season mm -hmm. but we definitely um you know we definitely see that like you know regardless of how many of the plot points might be his versus might be Kirshner's like that she does a competent job in both episodes I think I I like them both so yeah um anyway yeah, yeah. so um so okay I want to start kind of talking about like the overall situation, especially starting with Joyce, um, who kind of gets the focus of the episode. And I do really yeah. like this episode. And actually, you know, this is kind of related to one of the things I do like about it. But I have one kind of reservation with it that sort of did interrupt okay. my enjoyment occasionally and sort of broke me out of it, which is... I found it quite... Um, implausible at times that they would even let Joyce leave the hospital and go home. Um, yeah. You know, now, and I think, again, it's not entirely, I think it's a consequence of how successfully creepy they make her, you know, um, her kind of outburst seem. Like, it, it, it's almost like an intended consequence of that. So it's like, I get why I think it's, it's effective the way that they handle her sort of, you know, uh, her, her kind of increasing madness and everything. So I do want to talk about that. And like, so I think there's like a kind of good, you know, aspect to it, but one of the sort of like consequences of that is sort of, if, if she's really, 
as out of it and as sort of anxious as she seems, why are we even really talking about taking her home? You know, especially since I think her procedure is only like a day or two away. You know, I feel like if they couldn't, you know, do the procedure for a, a couple weeks, you know, then to me, it would seem, it would make a little more sense to say, okay, let's take her home where she can rest comfortably and all those things. But it was sort of like, we're going to an awful lot of trouble to get someone home for like one day so that she can come back. And in the meantime, she's like getting like increasingly, not just sort of out of it, but like kind of angry and, you know, really confused and kind of belligerent even towards her family members. So, you know, I don't know whether that ever, you know, bothered you or not. It, I don't think it's a huge deal, but it kind of, there were times where that kind of broke me out of the story a little bit, you know? Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I guess for me, I I can justify it enough mm -hmm. based on the doctor's reaction. Like the doctor doesn't really want to, mm. but, but there's also the sense, I think, I I have to wonder how much of like, um, not, not placebo effect, but like, you know, he does say to her, like, you, you know, you need to rest. You need to make sure that you're getting rest. And so from sort of a medical perspective, maybe the thought is she'll rest she'll better rest at better, home, right? you know, for the next, yeah, it's not, it's like, I, I'm not sure we know exactly what time it is when like we first see Buffy and Dawn and Joyce in the, in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's 10 it's 10 a.m. not the following day but the day after so right. it's like maybe a, a day, day and, and a half, half yeah you know um so and and presumably she would have to be in somewhat early to get prepped and whatever like so uh on the one hand i kind of agree with you mm -hmm. that like it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense but i also like we're not we're not told like what well actually no i'm sorry i take that back we do get a prognosis mm -hmm. um, in the last episode when the doctor says, uh, you know, one out of three people mm -hmm. are just fine. Mm -hmm. So there might also be like a potential end of, you know, quality of end of life mm -hmm. sort of thing, you know, factor being played into here where, you know, okay, one of three end up fine. So that means two thirds of people don't survive. Right. Right. This so particular type spend of thing. as so, much time at home with your family as you can kind right. of thing. Yeah. So, so from that, like, now this is all my justification. Like sure. this is my personal sort of combining of elements to, you know, rationalize that mm -hmm. because I, I think, and I think, I think the fact that I feel the need to do that sort of shows what you're, you know, what you're saying, like it sure. sort of implies the same thing. So I, I definitely see where you're coming from, but I, I do think there's at least reasonably plausible, mm -hmm. you know, ways to ex sort of explain that. So I guess, I guess I probably had worked that out, you know, a, a while back, you know, one of the right. dozen or so times where right, I've watched right. Buffy and you've through, made your piece with um, it. And, yes. and I've sort of, yeah, yeah, sort of absorbed that. Um, right. I don't think I've actually watched Buffy through a dozen times, but, <laughs> um, like maybe half a dozen. Um, sure. So, uh, that would be my sort of explanation, but I, I can totally understand why that was the, I, and it might also just be that, you know, 
it doesn't seem like that long ago, but you know, this is 15 years ago mm. as far as medicine goes. And maybe they were a little more freewheeling with their, you know, outpatient sort of, uh, right. you know, uh, stuff. So I, you know, who knows, or it might just be, it's Joss and Hollywood taking liberties with right. medical, you know, good practice kind of thing. Right. Right. Uh, I, I don't know enough about, you know, what medical practice would have been in yeah, know, 2000 yeah, yeah. to really say one way or the other. Well, and, and again, as I say, I think largely that's a problem because of how good they are at making Joyce's condition seem so scary. Like yeah. I, I would have, probably it's no more plausible if they sent her home for like, and her only symptoms were purely physical and that wouldn't necessarily be better medicine. It would just, not call attention to itself quite so much, you know, whereas, but the fact that like, if I'm Buffy, I think what was breaking me out was me feeling like if that were me, I would not want to take her home. She would be absolutely scaring the pants off of me. And I would want to be like, where we have like resources and facilities and like, you know, so I think the fact that they do such a good job of making her, you know, effectively scary in this episode was kind of the reason it kept calling attention to itself. So anyway, I do want to talk about kind of, you know, what's going on because they uh, mentioned in, I think the last one, uh, they kind of prefigured that there would be these sort of symptoms of confusion and disorientation and everything, which is, you know, what we get but also, you know, not just, it goes beyond just the confusion of, you know, I can't remember things or, you know, or, or saying yeah. kind of, you know, nonsense, you know, babble or whatever, it, you know, it gets pretty, her, it, her kind of whole demeanor changes too. You know, there's that kind of like, which can sometimes come with things like, you know, mental illness or dementia and everything. It's not just, it's not just, oh, I can't remember where I put my keys. It's like, it can, you know, your personality can change too. So it's pretty creepy to see her, you know, there's almost like a Tourette's element to it of like suddenly bursting out with something really kind of like violent sounding, you know, like, you know, you know, they're talking about Buffy's homework and it's the line about like, oh, rip it in half and stick it in bed with me. And there's a second of like, what, what is she talking about? <laughs> like, right. like, you know, that doesn't seem, not only does it not make sense, but the kind of like forcefulness of the statement is totally out of proportion with, you know, anything that's going on around us. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't think it's supposed to be like, I think it would be going too far to say like those kinds of things are necessarily like any sort of manifestation of what's really going on inside Joyce. Like it could just be a purely physical thing of, you know, a tumor is pressing on your brain and it makes you say things that you don't know what you're saying. But there was, there was something about it, which just recently occurred to me. I, I, I'm not going to be able to remember the line, but there's that bit in, one of the episodes of Firefly where River's going around and she can hear kind of all the thoughts of all the other crew members. And uh, 
when it gets to Shepard, you know, who's supposed to be this like very loving, you know, Shepard, you know, holy kind of preacher man figure. And like, I can't remember what he's thinking, but it's something that sounds like really like violent. It's like, you know, kind of, there's something like intimidating and sort of aggressive in a way that doesn't suit what we've come to know about him. And there's this kind of disconnect of like, oh, what's going on in that guy's head? I got a kind of almost vibe of that from Joyce of like, you're, you're used to her as like, you know, loving mother Joyce figure. And then suddenly yeah. it's this kind of switch to, you know, kind of a meanness that we haven't seen. And this, especially towards Buffy and Dawn, who are the ones that she loves the most, you know? Um, yeah. calling yeah. calling them fat and calling them, you know, they're right. not real and, you know, um, all these sorts of things. Yeah. So I think that's what makes it even scarier. It's not even just that, oh, she doesn't always know what she's saying. It's that what she's saying is so kind of aggressive and not like her. And so you don't even really know who you're dealing with anymore, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I never, uh, excuse me, I never put together... Uh, those two episodes. So that's um, Objects in Space yeah. that you're talking about uh, is the episode of Firefly there. And and it's interesting because, you you know, from that, that perspective, we're getting, you know, sort of River as the viewpoint character and seeing sort of what she sees. So like, like, for example, you know, they're in, you know, she's in the cargo bay of Serenity and it's quiet and there's like leaves and sticks mm -hmm. on the ground and she picks up a stick and then, and then, like, suddenly flashes back, and, like, it's a gun it's a in gun, her hand, yeah. and everyone's, like, yelling at her, and it's, you know, so you can sort of imagine that sort of same thing, like, to Joyce, mm. you know, what she's saying makes completely perfect sense, you know, based on the context that, whether it's a hallucination or whatever right. that's in her brain, right. but to us... We're not given that context. It, we're, yeah. we're not given that context, so it's, it's, you know, we're just seeing sort of her weird reaction to it. Um, and I think rightfully so, because I think, you know, you get you get sort of the quiet, you know, intellectual understanding, but still emotional response mm -hmm. from Buffy. And the, of course, you know, the young teenage, you know, uh, very emotional and not really much intellectual understanding of Dawn, mm -hmm. um, you know, trying to process that from, you know, each from their perspective. And I think... You know, so trying, you know, seeing that definitely is disconcerting, I would agree, especially since we don't, yeah, we don't see, I mean, I think the handful of times that like Joyce actually gets angry or whatever, and even that's very much, it's not like sort of a hostile thing, right? like, you know, like we see here, it's definitely, a, you know, more of I'm the parent and you need to listen to me, mm -hmm. but it's not like, even I'm thinking of like, you know, with like Moo. You know, like even that w where where it's it's not like uh, I forgot about me. You know, they're 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 sort of possessed and yeah. you know doing weird things. But like even that, it's more of like a condescending. You know, I'm I'm the parent, and you and, I'm doing yeah, what's right for yeah. you kind of thing. It's not like right. I only very, kill you because I love you. You know, yeah. right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not the aggressive outburst and right. angry um, and. And I mean, we should take a step back too and, and acknowledge that 
as in from an acting perspective, mm-hmm. you know, Christine Sutherland yeah. is doing a great job oh, yeah. too yeah. to be able to portray, you know, such a drastically different, like, I, I just think of like when she's in bed and like mm-hmm. shouting and you're like, oh man, it's just like her shouting crazy stuff. And, you know, you hear, you see like Dawn and then like Buffy's downstairs, she turns up the radio so she yeah. can't hear it. And, and then you realize that like, She's yelling at this queller demon yeah. above her. Yeah. And it's like, actually, like, the things that she's saying, yeah, they are crazy. Like, you know, contextually, they don't make sense. Mm-hmm. But they do kind of make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the you're not supposed to be here kind of stuff. Like, right. Stop staring you know, she, at me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 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 there are, there are snippets where, like, you can actually understand the thread mm-hmm. of what she's trying to say. But the way that she's seeing or perceiving the world because of this tumor that's pressing on her uh, brain is, is not, you know, it's, it's giving, I mean, we don't know if it's visual or if there's something else going on, but that, you know, for some reason it's giving her a different perception of her world and the danger that she's in. Yeah. And, um, and also interesting that she's not like calling out for help, Mm -hmm. but that she's, yelling at it and and kind of doing a mama bear type of thing like you know like she's she's very much like telling it to go away and leave me alone and and you know you're not you don't belong here but in a crazy way right (laughs) you know so um yeah no definitely definitely agree with that and and i mean i don't i'm no expert on brain tumors and stuff but i you know i have heard that they can cause, you know, hallucinations and, mm-hmm. and sort of personality changes and that kind of thing. So that, again, with my very limited medical knowledge, you know, does at least seem plausible yeah. that that sort of, you know, reaction could happen. Right. Yeah. Well, and that scene with, you know, the demon itself was pretty creepy. I thought like even, you yeah. know, um, yeah. You know, the, the monsters in Buffy and Doctor Who are not always the most frightening exactly, you know, but sometimes they are, you know, sometimes they really yeah. nail it. And I think this one kind of nails it. Like, there's something about the, like, scuttly way that it moves and, and just that image of it hanging on over her on top of the ceiling. And definitely, like, I like the way they even hold back the reveal because they have her sort of talking to the ceiling for a couple minutes before you even see it there. And I definitely had that kind of dawning realization of, Oh no, it's on the ceiling. Isn't it like, you know, kind of when they wanted me to, I'm realizing it like a step before they actually reveal it, which is cool. Which is interesting because we, we had gotten, you know, ceiling eye view, I guess, you know, I don't know what you call that. Uh Your bird's eye view, I guess of, of other, you know, portions before. And we get that of Joyce. That's like one of the first shots that we see of her mm-hmm. in the bed, but you don't, re- you don't realize it until much later mm-hmm. <laughs> that, Oh, that's actually, you know, demon eye view. Right. Like that's, right. you know, that's the, the queller demon up there looking down at her. It's not just a convenient view with which to see Joyce from. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, so Yeah. Yeah, very, very interesting. And, and I, I agree. Like, I mean, even 
that uh, that holds up. That's a good example, I think. Even though you know that it's the demon up there watching it the second time through, I think this is that's a good example of the C.S. Lewis uh, surprisingness mm-hmm. versus surprising. Like you still get yeah. sucked into the moment of it and not like you're you're fo- so focused on Joyce and not that you don't know the second time through. It's just you're not like focused on the fact that there's a demon there. You're focused on the fact that Joyce is going nuts. Right. <laughs> you know? Well. It, it- it's such a shocking image just on its own, you know, like mm-hmm. the, right. the, just the shot of her sort of in the bed makes enough of an impact that even if you know, in the back of your mind, kind of what is really going on, it, you're so, like you said, you're so focused on her that it sort of mm-hmm. distracts you from like mm-hmm. the other shock, which is coming up in a minute. So, um, yeah. definitely really well done, I think. Um, so, I mean, I want to come back to Joyce shortly when we talk about Buffy and Dawn, but first let's finish up with the Queller demon since we sort of okay. got on that subject anyway. So, yeah. so it kind of also picks up on this theme of how many other sort of uh, crazy people there are wandering around Sunnydale at the moment. And, um, yeah. You know, it doesn't necessarily explain everything perfectly, but we're getting like a more complete picture of, okay, at least some of these people, if not all of them, are related to Glory and what she's doing because we ha- we see the effects on this guard, mm-hmm. you know, who's now another one of these people who's, you know, taken to the hospital for insanity and is bumping into Dawn and you know, yelling things at her about how, you know, she's not real and all that kind of thing. Um, You know, and we even kind of get that the mental ward is sort of booked to capacity. So you kind of, you're given the impression that probably that's because Glory's going around, like, you know, scrambling people's brains (laughs) a little bit, a little bit indiscriminately. So. Uh, Yeah. And again, maybe not, everyone is there because of that, but like a good percentage, you know, probably are. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and, and that, well, okay. Yeah. So keep going. Sorry. So, you know, so we get, um, you know, then we get, I don't know at what point in the episode, this, you know, meteor that, you know, Mm -hmm. comes to earth crashes and has, you know, the little cockroachy demon who starts, attacking everyone and in not the, everyone. well not everyone just the just the ones who are rambling nonsense um and interesting that the demon apparently can't tell the difference between types of you know it, it's not a diagnostician because like you know it goes after Joyce's sort of brain tumor induced you know ramblings the same as right. you know the security guard so it, it kind of, we learn like, so if I'm kind of understanding the mythology right from the research that they do, it's a demon summoned, it's from outer space, and it's summoned to quell the, you know, people who are having these, you know, mental outbreaks, you know? Right. So if you have this, for whatever reason, this plague of insanity, you pray to this demon and it comes and kills them for you and takes care of them. So, um, 
Yeah, and it's so I want to I want to focus on that a little bit, and we'll talk about sort of Ben's role in mm-hmm. that. Um, but I think even just sort of stepping back and thinking about like, okay, you know, there were you know these other sort of outbreaks, and we don't know what caused those. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, were they supernatural outbreaks? Was it was there another? glory or someone there like you know doing similar things or whatever like we don't know the deal details behind it but we know that like obviously this isn't the first time one of these things has been sort of called and it has to me a sort of like a euthanasia feel to Mm. it a very much of a like a you know these these people aren't people anymore Mm. like they're they're sort of brain dead, even though like they're alive and functioning mm-hmm. sort of physically, like their mind is gone. Put them and out so, of their misery kind of thing. So yeah, like there's definitely a sense of like maybe step above vegetable, mm-hmm. you know, like uh level to it. And that's whether that's true or not, that at least seems to be like the reasoning behind summoning one of these demons, which, you know, Again, so does that make the demon good? Well, not necessarily. It's still going around killing people. Right. Like, but, you know, it it does have that sense of like, you know, okay, maybe there's at least a impetus behind it that isn't wholly evil. It's not like Glory summoning a big snake to like find mm-hmm. this thing that she selfishly wants. There, There does seem to be... Although it might be somewhat Kevorkian, mm-hmm. <laughs> there is sort of like a medical mm-hmm. goodwill behind mm. the desire anyway. Um, it seems to me. Now tell me, I don't know. Did it seem different to you or? I mean, that didn't occur to me, but I can see what you mean. Yeah. Although, I mean, even there. I, I I could understand if that's sort of the the kind of benevolent impetus behind it, but then even there you kind of have the sense in which, okay, but it's like, you know, everyone else making this decision on behalf of these people, you know? So there's, yeah. there's yeah. the kind of double edge of that, of like, you know, it, sure. is, this, is this a kind of right to die kind of thing in in that sense of you know i'm asking you for the right to make the or is this the sense of we don't know how to handle these people and so it would be really nice if somebody just did that for us you know there's there's the kind of like potentially like you know maybe kind of benevolent uh top layer and kind of really irresponsible under layer of like it's really awesome if this demon comes and takes care of the crazy people that we don't know how to help you know so there's i like that kind of like potentially mixed kind of you know attitude to it and that doesn't say anything about what the demon itself does the demon see itself as a benevolent sort of right you know, angel of death who shepherds people into the next life or is, or is this demon just like a killer who will, you know, do anything that, you know, 
you know, he's just happy to sort of be asked to kill people. And this is awesome. So we don't really get any sort of like motivation for him, but yeah. Tasty, crazy people. Right. Right. Like he's just sitting around waiting for somebody to summon him so that he can like have feast. So we don't get like, as far as we know, this is just a kind of, I mean, it may even be animal for all we know. We don't even really know what, you know, it, it, what kind of thought process it might even have. But, yeah. um, well, and that's another point I wanted to bring up because this is really the first sort of episode that we have where we have sort of an explicit, well, all right, there, there might be one or two other things that I'll, I could point out, but like, so this is the first one where we get an explicit, like, okay, we're calling this thing a demon, but it's really an alien. Right. <laughs> like, right. like it's. You know, right. it's not from another dimension. Right. It's from outer space. Right. And, it's not monster and, from outer and space. And so this is, like, I think this is in part a response to sort of the expansion of the idea that, we, that we've that we kind of talked about on and off. Mm-hmm. Um, but we talked about a little more even with Angel, like, this idea of, like, there's sort of a many worlds. Mm-hmm. And, like, having like having less and less of sort of a fantasy-based, like, heaven and hell and you know right. uh supernatural whatever to where it's more like well there's like different dimensions mm-hmm. and there's different like beings in those dimensions but it's not like heaven or hell per se it's really just like these other dimensions and these demons that we're calling them are more kind of like alien beings whereas like this is like no this is like not even different dimension this is like an alien being right, like it right. just is from the moon or right, whatever. Right. And like, uh, you know, can come, come down and like, has these, like, like you said, like it might even be animal, like calling it demon might even be giving it too much. Right. You know, credit. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. So, I hadn't thought about another way these two episodes connect really well is that kind of mix of, sci-fi and fantasy you know of kind Mm -hmm. of like and they are kind of inversions of each other in a way of like Buffy is a fantasy a fantasy show it's almost like Buffy's like hard hard fantasy and like you know Doctor Who's like soft sci-fi or something like there's sort of like (laughs) interesting mixings going on there um it's a pretty well overlapped Venn diagram. Right, right. You know, yeah. if you want to look at it. Yeah, in, in both cases, I think. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so I just, like, I think, again, so this is, so what I was thinking before, like, we get, like, um, way back in season one, we get, like, you know, the woman who's a praying mantis, you know, sort of thing. Like, that yeah. is sort of, like, presented as, like, a sort of, like it could have been more of a biological evolutionary evolved, kind of thing, yeah. you know, thing rather than a demon, but like, that's also season one. So let's not worry about it too much. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, whereas this, like, I think is fitting more into that concept of like, not, not just that there's other dimensions, but that like things that we've called demons may just be aliens from mm. other planets. They're sort of like, not quite Lovecraftian, but I mean, it's kind of close to right, like, especially now with glory, it's, it's edging closer to that, yeah. Like, like there's definitely you know, this sort of like old ones feel to it, right, right. <laughs> uh, you know. So, anyway, um, yeah, I think you know, and so as far as the demon goes, yeah, like you, you sort of described uh, you know, the research behind it and. 
as far as we know, that's all correct. I think the only other thing um, is like, we'll talk about Riley later, but there's also like the sense of like the military kind of knows about these things again, mm-hmm. you know? So we're getting like another sense of like, maybe this isn't even the first Queller demon that's sort of come to earth. Like Riley seems to know it. And maybe it's just like, oh, this is something weird. And it's like more weird than the usual weird. So I need to like call someone else in. Yeah. But like, there's also, also seems to be like a protocol to follow in this instance of like extra, extraterrestrial incursion mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, which seems different than like the, um, you know, the, the, the sub T, you know, that, you know, they call it the demons or right. sub T. This is, you know, extra T. This is, right. you know, uh, you know, from outside of the earth. So right. this is something different um, that has to be handled differently, it seems. Right. Okay. Differently, but also the same, sort of. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, that's interesting because I wasn't sure maybe I should wait and talk about this with Riley. But anyway, I'm going to go ahead because I wasn't sure how to kind of read his calling them in. That is that... Uh, uh, you know, does he do that because of what this thing is that, like you said, maybe there's something about it, which lets him know, oh, this is alien and therefore I have to follow protocol, you know, and, and you know, I haven't been in contact with them, but this is a special case and we need to sort of bring them in. Or is it just to do with Riley himself and and wanting to you know, whatever it is that he's going on. Cause I honestly don't even know what's going on with him right now, but like, <laughs> like, you know, maybe he's, we'll get, we'll get maybe he's been itching to call them for a little while now. And now he has a nice little excuse of like, you know, Oh, here's this thing, you know, and you know, right. funny, funny. I should bump into this just when I was like having, you know, some sort of identity crisis. So like, you know, maybe that's open for kind of debate. Like what is the impetus for calling the initiative? Is it, is it the queller, the queller demon itself or, um, or is it just more about Riley and what he's dealing with? So, yeah. um, Yeah. Good, good questions. Um, Well, okay. So the other thing I want to mention in relation to it is Ben, because the one kind of major uh, mistake that we know of in their research is that they assume that it's glory that is calling it down because it has to do with madness and she's kind of nuts and she's going around causing all sorts of craziness. So um, that seems like a logical enough connection, but you know, we get uh, that that's not true that actually apparently it's Ben that is calling it down, at least if I'm reading it right, because it, yeah. it, that's the implication is that he's, what he says is he's cleaning up her mess. So the idea being that she's going around creating all of these mental patients and he's summoned this queller demon to sort of literally clean them up, you know, for her, you know, so she's causing a mess and he's sort of fixing it. Um, that's, do I understand that right? Maybe. No. Yeah. There's, I don't think there's any question. Okay. Or I don't think we're supposed to have any question about that. Being being the one to have called the caller. Okay. Good. So, so we get, so, okay. The situation is that 
like Ben goes to get, so okay, couple things. First of all, other than like the real brief scene that we got of Ben in the locker room uh-huh. and Glory kind of at the other end of the locker room, you know, with the other demon. Yeah. Um, this is, which was again just like a snippet. Like right. we don't even really know. Like he was just in there changing his clothes. Like this is the first time we actually see Ben mm-hmm. not in communication with like Buffy. Right. Um, so that shift is maybe significant. Oh, yeah. You know, just the fact that like we're seeing him now on his own. Um, and we see him get into a car and we see in the back seat is one of Glory's minions. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hmm, okay. Yeah. And once once we once he starts talking, uh, and he's calling he's calling Ben Sir. Mm. So there's also like that aspect to it. Like, yeah. you know, Sir, forgive me. I just want to understand. <laughs> yeah. You know, why summon the queller? Uh well, I mean, I suppose the way he asks it, you could interpret that differently, but then Ben responds, Well, what what do you think? Because I'm cleaning up Gloria's mess. Like that's definitely yeah. him taking responsibility for having summoned it. Mm-hmm. Um and and I and so to kind of go back to some of my earlier comments, that's also where I kind of get that there may be a benevolent aspect to it because and, and not that we don't like we don't necessarily know enough about Ben. Like he could have some sort of nefarious mm-hmm. undertone. But what we do know about him so far, at least it seems, uh that he is you know, he's a nurse, he's someone who takes care of people, he's there to help. Um he's specifically you know, helping out with the crazy people, <laughs> like, you know, so, so how you read into that maybe might also change how you, um, read into the reason for calling the color. But like, mm-hmm. you know, the reason he gives is that he's cleaning up Glory's mess. But I also like for me, the fact that he is a nurse and that he is, you know, at a hospital and is sort of helping people who are sick, mm-hmm that's what gives to me that sort of that euthanasia feel. Now, I think you're absolutely right to ask like, okay, is this, and and this is a question we'll be talking about in Dr. Who too, you know, is this a question that you should be making for everyone, you know, who has this condition and their families who, you know, might have a say or want to have a say in the matter, you know, um, you know, is he just pulling out a bunch of plugs all at once and, you know, people die as they may, you know, okay, that's a valid question to ask. But I I at least, based on what we know so far, it seems to me that there could at least be, from his perspective, uh, at least a benevolent impetus Mm -hmm. behind doing so, even if maybe upon reflection we realize, like, "Eh, it's kind of not as good as we would hope. So, um, we also get, I mean, he knows Glory. Yeah. Clear, like, I mean, they're, I'm cleaning up Glory's mess. Yeah. Not only does he know her, he's known her a long time. Yeah, his Just whole like life. Just like I've done yeah. my whole damn life. So, so like, uh, you know, we get, we get minions treating him with respect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get Ben, you know, admitting that he knows Glory and that he's cleaning up her mess and that he's known her for a long time, his whole life. I mean, these are clues yeah, yeah. that one could piece together about who Ben is. I'm, I'm not trying to lead you in a particular direction. Sure. I'm just saying, like, 
like in like three sentences, we get a lot of freaking information oh, yeah. about yeah, yeah. men that we didn't have before. So it's no, it's sort it, of a lot it, I mean, it makes that. me wonder how long is his life? I'm like, I get a kind of sibling uh, vibe here of like, right? You know, my whole life is like millennia of like right. she goes around causing you know chaos, and I'm like up like cleaning up the pieces and taking care of her victims in the hospital, right. and you know, and so. <laughs> You know, from that perspective, does it become like a Thor and Loki sort of situation? Right, like right. one's, you know, the chaotic, you know, right. whatever, and, and the other's sort of the more responsible right. whatever. You know, yeah, like, yeah. again, not trying to insinuate that that is what's going on, but like just you get you, you get ideas about sort of their relationship just based on those couple sentences mm-hmm. that he, you know, sort of utters there, so... Yeah, and, and again, with that ambiguity, it could go a couple ways. Like, you know, is he sort of, he recognize you could kind of read it as he recognizes that glory is dangerous and he's made it his sort of life's mission to repair the damage that she causes. Or is it kind of like an enabling protective thing of like, mm. you know, I'm going to go quietly take care of her victims in the hospital so that we kind of, piece together things well enough that you know it doesn't it causes as little disruption as possible like there could be a kind of you could read it in a kind of like covering up for her kind of way like sure is he working against her or working with her is a question to me you know because i think him cleaning up her mess could go either way you know you could do that in a i'm helping you by cleaning up your mess or in a kind of like you know I am not on your side at all. And it's my responsibility to sort of clean up for you on behalf of all these people whose lives you're ruining. So we don't, we don't know yet, which again, like, and then that makes me question how to sort of read him as the character, because when he asks Buffy what the man is saying, when he yells at Dawn, it could be a concerned nursing kind of question of, Oh, is she okay? What did he say? Anything mean to you? Right, What's going on? Right. Or it could be a kind of prying, like, hmm, what did he say to you? Maybe he's hanging around, wondering if anyone's going to say anything. You know, we know Glory's looking for this key and has people out looking for it for her. So you could kind of read it as like he's a spy there in the hospital, you know, listening to what sort of the crazy people are saying, you know, in case someone says something sort of, you know, interesting. Yeah. Although the fact that he knows that multiple people have yelled this at Dawn and he doesn't seem to, you know, he hasn't like tried to like kidnap her or anything (laughs) is maybe like a mark in his favor that maybe he's not sort of looking for her or at least hasn't put it together that she's, something special so yeah these are all the questions that i have we don't uh, okay i'm not gonna say what i was gonna say (laughs) there 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 are certain like we we have very big descriptions of what even the key is Mm -hmm. so like at this point you know does glory even realize that he is a human sure right because because it wasn't before the monks made it human. Mm-hmm. So potentially the monks could have made it anything. Right. <laughs> like, right. Right. You know, so is, do they even know even, what they're looking for in the first place? Yeah. Is, is there even like, it, you know, it could be such a drastic change that like 
Glory doesn't even have any idea that it's a human. And so therefore Ben may not even be thinking along those lines either. Like, mm -hmm. why would you ever think that this thing is right. human? Right. You know, this portal slash energy door universe thing. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, so we've got like a little more than 10 minutes left. We've got um, down to Ben. We haven't even started talking about Buffy and Dawn. Yeah. Or like the rest of, you know, the pack. Which I don't, I mean, sure. we should talk about Riley, but I don't think that'll take that long. No. Um, but let's let's get into Buffy and Dawn a bit. Okay. Because um, obviously a big, you know, I mean, we've talked a lot about Joyce. We talked a little bit about Buffy and Dawn. Yeah. But like. A, a lot of the episode is is their reactions to what's what is going on and sort of the sadness, anger, confusion, mm -hmm. you know, and other reactions that they're having. So, yeah. Um, well, what are your thoughts? Where would you like to begin? <laughs> well, so, I mean, I think we get kind of some further, we've had hints of it, but kind of more info about how understandably this whole kind of situation is sort of taking over all of Buffy's time and energy, you know, like, and we see her doing a really good job of being there as much as she can being really responsible about talking to the doctors, wanting to take her mom home saying, just give me the information and I'll take care of it. Like really kind of stepping up as this sort of adult in the family. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously something has to give. So we, you know, it kind of starts with everyone covering for her with the patrolling. So she's sort of, you know, taking a slight step backward from that. And, um, you know, and then also Willow bringing, you know, homework and information from school, you know, so you kind of get the impression that she's missing a fair amount of classes and tests and homework and everything too. Um, so... You know, I mean, that's all understandable. That is what it is. I don't think it's presented as neglectful in any way. You kind of get the idea that, you know, this is totally understandable, that this is where her sort of energy would go. And you do see her sort of really taking that responsibility role. So it's not a kind of like, you know, it's not that she's sort of neglecting and dropping everything it's more that this is sort of where uh she has to spend her time um yeah. and um you know but you also get like this obviously the strain that that takes on her so you know you kind of mentioned earlier when she sort of turns up the music and puts on the water as loud as she can just so that she could cry for a while like you know you're getting Again, like with Riley, that um, kind of repression of the emotions when it's with other people. So, you know, it has to come somewhere. So she sort of finds a time when she's by herself and, you know, you know, but but that kind of hiding of it, nobody can know that she's this, you know, upset. She has to sort of stay strong for everybody else. So, you know, turning like that really annoying music as loud as it'll go and like the water as loud as it'll go just so that nobody hears her. Um, 
you know. Yeah, the music is horrendous, isn't it? It's awful. Yeah. Um, but, but, but there's yeah. something kind of there's something kind of right about like well, the juxtaposition of its obnoxious quality with like the pathos of her like sobbing. You yeah. know, like that that's an effective kind of like it it's that like weird cognitive disconnect of like these things yeah. don't go together and I'm uncomfortable, you know. Right. There's definitely like it they they must, you know, just like they do, like scouting locations. Like they must have had someone scouting. Yeah, like, find us to like find the worst, the most, most repetitive thing. Yeah, obnoxious, <laughs> yeah. upbeat music yeah. that you possibly can. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So right. yeah, the, you know, Buffy. I mean, and, and even thinking about like you mentioned, like you know, with Riley, like even thinking back to you know, Riley wanting her to sort of show her emotional mm-hmm. side. And she said, I can't, because I feel like if if I do, it won't stop. Yeah. And so, you know, this is her letting go, at least momentarily, mm-hmm. you know, until, you know, she hears Don scream. there, And, and we get Don screaming again. Um, well, that's true, but I want to talk about that, because she doesn't yeah, just scream, but... No, 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 no. Uh, I well, but we don't talk about Don yet. Okay. Let's finish with Buffy, because um, you know that this is another sort of point for Riley in reading things right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, insofar as like Buffy can't let go with Riley. You, you know, it, like she's treating him just like everyone else and keeping him mm-hmm. at arm's length. And it's only, again, when she's truly sort of alone that yeah. she's doing that. So they're not to say that what Riley, the way Riley is acting is correct mm-hmm. or right morally in any sort of way. <laughs> uh, but to recognize that he at least is, you know, reading things somewhat accurately sure. with regard to Buffy's feelings towards him because otherwise, you know, like you imagine that she would have let go with Angel, mm. you know, if, if things were still good between them and all of that sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know, like if they were still together and he were there, yeah, that she would go to him and be with him and cry and let her emotions be shown. Right. But, right. You know, this is, this is, uh, you know, reflecting back to Don's comments last week of, or last episode of, you know, she doesn't get all worked up over you kind of thing the way she did with Angel. And so, yeah, this is sort of confirmation of that. Mm. Um, Again, not, none of that excuses Riley's actions or, you know, attitudes, (laughs) but, uh, you know, does at least suggest that he's not, far off maybe in his assessment mm-hmm. of you know Buffy's feelings towards him right right and and if I would add anything to that it would be that if there's maybe one nuance that he might be missing it's that maybe she would have let go with Angel but it's not exactly like she's letting go with lots of other people and not with Riley like I feel like that's less like maybe it has something to do with her feelings for him but it's not entirely that it, it's, I think it's as much to do with this sense of her feeling like she has to close herself off from everybody, you know, like, Oh, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Like it's, 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 it, she, she wouldn't do this in front of Joyce and Dawn either, you know, and she hasn't no. exactly gone and sought out Willow's shoulder, shoulder to cry on. So there's that kind of, 
he may be what reading I, it right. It's maybe he's taking it a little bit more personally than it sort of. I, I think from Riley's perspective, though, yeah, that's not a helpful statement. No, no, because no, because you're right, his, you're right. his his his, I, I would say from his perspective, he would want to be the exception, the exception to the rule, and, yeah, and yeah. the fact that he's being treated like everybody else yeah, is the problem. Proves his point, yeah, is that he's not exceptional to her. That that he's that she doesn't love him in a way right. that she doesn't that she right that she doesn't love him in a way different from everyone else. I think I said that the way I mean it, yes. but even yes. if I didn't, I think you're getting what I intend to say. I do get um, the point. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I, I, I guess that would just like again. That's just yeah to acknowledge that that I think Riley is reading things mm -hmm. correctly. And, and I think you're right that you're right. She's not going to all these other people. It's only herself and herself alone. Mm -hmm. And right. it's, you, you know, that fact that she's treating him like she's treating everyone else that right. I think hurts him. Yeah. Um, but again, none of that excuses what he does and we'll get to what he does. Sure. In a moment. Well, okay. So let's do Dawn. Um, quickly before we go over to Riley, um, and I mean, Buffy and Dawn are kind of going together because with Buffy, you get her sort of in, in some ways opening up a little bit more than she was to Dawn, but in other ways, not really. Like she, she does tell Dawn, like what the doctor said about Joyce saying all these weird things, but only after Joyce starts saying weird things. <laughs> so she doesn't exactly like prepare her for it. She doesn't ever have sure. to talk about what can we expect. It's more like, oh, when she's already said something really mean, then, okay, oh, by the way, the doctor mentioned that she might be saying some mean things and, you know, don't take it personally. Um, and, you know, you also get her, you know, I mean this is obviously even bigger information. So I think you can make an argument about why it's important to shelter Dawn from this, but you do get the, the lying to her about, you know, Doin, Doin, Dawn asks her point blank, you know, why do people keep telling me I'm not a real person, you know? And like, cause there's your like huge opening to talk about this and for right or wrong, no moral judgments. Again, I think you can make a case in either way, but Buffy doesn't answer with what she knows. She answers, you know, with the kind of comforting, you know, they're crazy and don't listen to them kind of answer. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, for better or worse, choosing to uh, put Dawn's sort of peace of mind ahead of, you know, uh, knowing kind of all the, like, gritty facts at this point. Yeah, and I think, I mean, at this point, this is, like, the longest kept secret of the entire series so far, <laughs> right? I mean, sure. you know, the fact that Buffy and Giles are still the only two who kind of right. know the truth. Well, kind of except, except at the end, and even at the end, Joyce doesn't really know mm. like what the truth. Right, she right. just knows that something's different about Dawn and that she's not really her daughter, but she doesn't really yeah. know like, you know, the details that yeah. she's the key and yeah. what, 
the key is and you know like that kind right. of stuff. so you know yeah again like this is one of those secrets that just seems to they actually manage to keep so i think buffy is still sort of in containment mode at this point mm-hmm. and key or not dawn is still a what like 12 or 13 year old or whatever mm-hmm. like i forget how old she is 13 but, or 14 uh, or something 13 or 14 right so you know she's still a young teenage mm-hmm. girl and does you know would interesting important potentially earth literally earth shattering you know information to her like is that the right thing to do even though it sort of affects her and mm-hmm. you know is the core of her being um more than even just affecting her so right. like i think i think you know part of the thing that all the stuff with joyce and and uh you know her medical condition and all of this is doing is to pull buffy away from being able to get to a point where she knows about what even the key is and like there you know she's not doing research on the key she's not you know trying to find glory and do all this stuff like she's with her mom in the hospital and so you know there's I think for her, it, you know, for Buffy, it's it's a let's contain information as much as we can, even from Don, even though like it's about Don, mm-hmm. until we really know what's going on. And yeah. so I think that's that seems to be, uh, to me, sort of the um, impetus that's, that is going on at least at this point. So, yeah. you know, I I sort of am okay with her not like opening up with Don and say, mm-hmm. okay, Don, listen, here's why everyone, all the crazy people are yelling at you is because here's this mystical key yeah. uh, and you're wanted by some crazy goddess lady thing. <laughs> Don't really know what she is, but she's strong and kick my ass. So yeah. like, that's what's really going on. Like, yeah, I, like hey, like, when even, they say you're not real, guess what? You're not real. <laughs> you're actually not. You're not really yeah, a person. Yeah. Like, and, and also like you get the fact of like, like even going back to like, you know, the episode where Buffy finds out what Don is and like goes in and she's like trying to be nice to her and and Don's like, well, I have a theory that you're not the real person and mm-hmm. you know like you know all these sorts of things was like, like, would Don even accept that as truth? Like you know like would she just say, you're being stupid? Why were why are you being mean to me when mom's in the hospital right. kind of thing? Like you know she might not even accept any of that anyway and it would just cause weird trouble so again not saying that that's necessarily what Buffy's thinking because mm-hmm. we don't get what Buffy's but those are like possibilities of like yeah. why you know she might plausibly not want to tell Don mm-hmm. at this juncture um but we do get the fact that Joyce finds out mm-hmm. at the end about Don and not from anyone telling her but through her own sort of yeah revelation Mm -hmm. i guess epiphany uh and sort of you know buffy confirms it but um she sort of knows already that that there's something about don but i i think it's interesting and i i think i think it's interesting for two reasons sort of the reaction that joyce has um you know first of all to say well she still feels like my daughter like she still has the memories she still has a she still you know remembers her growing up even though those are constructed memories we're told right you know, that right that the monks created um right and still cares about her you know she still cares about her and also that 
even though she isn't the daughter, and even sort of despite whatever feeling she has, that Dawn is important for some reason. She's precious, as precious as you are to me. Like, this is, you know, again, like maybe just reiterating that she feels like my daughter, but also that there's sort of an objective mm-hmm. preciousness to her, like that she's important for the world. You know, she's uh, she's important to the world, precious, as precious as you are to me. Mm-hmm. Like, there's two ways to take that. It's she's as precious to me as you are to me, but as but there's also like the way it's juxtaposed, it's you know, she's important to the world mm-hmm. as you are precious to me. So like yeah. it's sort of like turning it almost cosmic in that, you know, sense. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's as much as like, you know, the tumor sort of pressing on Joyce's brain makes her crazy, mm-hmm. there's also that certain you know, level of insight to see beyond, like she remembers that moment of, you know, uh, what, what did she say? You know, don't touch me. You, you sing like, that's a weird thing to say. Like, and then she says, you're nothing. You're a shadow. I don't know what you are or how you got here. And all that's true. You're nothing. You're a shadow. Well, a shadow is a thing. (laughs) So like, you know, there's like some, well, and, and the shadow, shadow was oh. the other episode too. Wasn't that the last episode? So like that where it sort of jumped out to me as, you know, kind right. of significant yeah. as well. Yeah, no, you're right. The the shadow, and, and in the episode, the shadow is the thing in mm-hmm. Joyce's brain, you know, like, oh, what is it? It's a shadow. Mm-hmm. It's right there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and so you're right. Like there, there's that, there's that connection there that this whatever this tumor is uh, has at least given her sight sort of beyond normal sight. Um, But that also she retains that. Like she doesn't seem to remember the other rantings and stuff, but this is different. Like there's, you know, the, the things that she remember remembers afterwards when she is sort of sane is that, Oh, there is something about Dawn and that it's, she's not my daughter. Mm -hmm. I I have this new knowledge, but, um, you know, she doesn't just sort of forget it. Like she forgets her other sort of rantings. Yeah. So. Right. Which kind of suggests that there's something more weighty about that insight than the other kind of maybe more random things that she was sort of Maybe not random to her, but there's something important enough about this insight that she does remember it, right. which kind of gives it an extra significance, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, and I did want to say the, the other thing about Dawn, which is, yes, she does scream, but she also, you know, gets the like coat rack and knocks the thing off the bed. So we do see a bit of action. It's not, she's not totally passive, like, you know. Right. She does it, like, she attacks it, and she, yeah. and she, you know, shuts the door. Like, she actually does, you know, a, a good job of defending them, you know. Obviously, she can't sort of do what Buffy can do, but, you know, she's not completely helpless in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, just wanted to give her a couple points, wherever we find them. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I think... I think the impression of Dawn is that she tends to just be the screamer and the passive, like, come rescue me, you know, sort of character. Mm -hmm. But I think, like you said, like, in this case, she's not. So there are, whether that turns out to be 
true in in the book or not. Like mm-hmm. we can, you know, at least give her credit for this time around for you know being not not just like knocking it away, but also being quick enough to sort of like Locking chase it out, out of the room yeah. and then go in the other door and sort of yeah, like yeah, um, you know, yeah. Uh, we should probably wrap up real quick with a few of the other characters and then move on. Yes. Okay. So most importantly, Riley, um, I think we covered his stuff with the initiative. I think just keeping an eye well, on they're Remember they're not the initiative though at this point. The initiative oh, is done. Right, right, right. It, but it's the, it's, it's, it's military. And it's that guy specifically, um, uh, Graham or Grant? What was his yeah, name? Graham. Graham. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's sort of the post-initiative, whatever bits are still... I still think of them as the initiative. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it's it's still military. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. It's, it's a different... Yeah, it's not know, that branch. It, it, um, it, it, it's a... Well, it's a different, you know, patrol or whatever. But yeah, right. it's still like special operations or whatever right, you want right. to call it. Like, it's just not the initiative anymore okay well the, yeah. the initiative was like the installation that, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. and and the people associated with that so this is like okay there are still some people they're just doing other things now. right got it um and i still like i think i want to just kind of put a pin in that to see where it goes because i'm not quite sure yet what you know what were his motivations for that um but i mean I, even more interesting, I think. I mean, okay, so we get him not showing up for patrolling again, which we saw him kind of ditch the others and go off on his own before. So that's sort of not surprising that he's sort of becoming less of a team player. You know, he's sort of doing his thing without sort of reference to the others. Um, and And kind of in a like, kind of a, you know, unfeeling sort of way of like, oh yeah, sorry, I forgot. Like, he's not even sorry about it. Like, he's not even really, it it, it, it kind of seems like he doesn't really care much anymore about, like, the group, you know? It's sort of like, all right, you know, I missed, no big deal, you know, even though Xander's saying how they, like, almost got killed, you know? And, but, you know, call me, and I'm not going to come research because, you know, I suck at that. So you guys just call me if you find anything else. You know, like, there's a kind of like a, a quality to him that which I don't think has been there before. Like he has been more the kind of like wholesome, everybody gets along kind of team player. You know, that that's not how he's acting. Um, and then we also get the scene in the beginning which to me has a kind of metaphor of the week feel of like, okay, if not literally, he's at least metaphorically sort of cheating on Buffy, you know, of like, you know, I mean, not that yeah. she's a vampire, but like the, the, the thing of him going out and finding these vampires to sort of drink his blood before he then sort of like stakes him has a kind of like, you know, cheating kind of flavor to it like that he's getting up to private intimate things with other women that Buffy doesn't know about so um right so that I mean and then that doesn't even answer the question of like what is he even getting out of this like again we still don't know right 
like before, you know, it, is he flirting with changing into a vampire? Does he just want the sensation of being bitten and then he always plans to stake them? Is he being tempted? What's going on? We don't know. We just get that image of like, he's just sort of sitting there very passively letting her do all the work and kind of like staring moodily off into the distance. <laughs> so uh, There's very much a, I would say, a sort of, you know, crack them sort of yeah. feel to it too. Like there, yeah. there's, there, so I totally agree with you about like the cheating and, you know, the, like more so with Sandy, I feel like than this time, mm. but like this, this definitely has more of like, like a, junkies getting you know, the fix. Kind yeah. Of thing, like a yeah. heroin addict yeah. with a needle in his arm, right. like laying next, you know, to the woman right. who's, you know, whatever. Yeah. So like there's, yeah, there's sort of multiple things that, yeah, multiple metaphors, I guess, that we could sort of tie to that. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I agree. Like, we don't, okay, so, you know, as maybe happens in wh whether you're going after the, you know, drug angle or the infidelity angle or both at the same time, like, you know, he's sort of maintaining, you know, the illusion of normalcy, mm -hmm. but we know and the characters know that things aren't working out you know exactly the way that yeah sort of he he hopes people are uh thinking of him so you know like they're you know they're they're noticing that he's not around and they're you know sort of picking up on these like he where are you what are you doing mm -hmm. like um and then of course you know, at the end, he bursts into Buffy's house with military guys who, yeah. to her knowledge, he hadn't had any contact with. Right. At least since, you know, uh, they operated on him. Right. Um, and that was her call. Like, right, right. Right. He didn't even know, that, want that. She, he, she called them right. in. Yeah. So, you know, there's that aspect of it, too. So there's sort of a lot of things that, yeah, potentially, if they were to talk although they don't seem to be doing much of that, Buffy and Riley would have a lot of things to talk about. Right. Um, they, but yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I don't, I mean, Riley is sort of setting him up, himself up for something. Mm. I guess, you know, it's up to you whether you want to try to predict what that something what that is, is or if, or if you just wish to, you know, move on and, and yeah, we'll figure I don't it know. out as we, as uh, we it. yeah I don't I don't even think I'll he's he's setting himself up for some sort of trouble but what what form that will take I don't know um okay well let's quickly wrap up with the Scoobies um and I don't know that there's a whole lot of importance to say about them individually you know we get them <laughs> not quite effectively you know, effectively staking the vampires, but kind of like only by like a smidgen, you know, sort of almost right, getting and almost killed. almost staking each other. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, Xander's not the best fighter, as we know. Giles almost kills Xander instead. Willow kind of gets it done, but like, you know, is you know, high on adrenaline and kind of, you know, pretty out of it by the end, like just with the kind of excitement of it. Um, right. 
So you get them kind of picking up the slack for both Buffy and Riley, um, which is a slightly dangerous thing for them because they're not quite as good at that sort of thing. Um, yeah, and you get Willow. I mean, obviously Willow and Xander both agree that they're not the ones who should be doing this job. Like Xander's kind of open about the fact that he, you know, um, will almost get himself killed. You know, and Willow kind of saying, like, keep saying, can we call Buffy, please? I just really want to call Buffy. Like, <laughs> if it were up to her, you know, they would be including her a lot more than they are. Um, yeah. You know. Well, I think I think for Willow, too, like, we don't we don't get a ton with Xander. Um, but you're right. Like, he's sort of focused on, like, we should be, you know, Riley. He's more focused on, like, Riley not being there than Buffy not being yeah. there. Yeah. Like, like you're the boyfriend, you're the military guy. You should be stepping in, yeah. You know to to take the place while Buffy's out. Um, with Willow, I feel like we get more of the "I'm missing my best friend" mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and even though I mean, clearly things are going well with her and Tara, and you know mm-hmm. it's a nice sort of a touching scene where they're looking up at the stars and right. stuff before the like big weird star names, yeah, yeah, comes out. Um, you know, but even like you know you're getting the same thing with her where like willow's not really quite talking to tara mm-hmm. um and and you know like tara's like asking her like you know what's what's going on and whatever and willow's like oh look stars <laughs> like you know so there's there's a certain amount of maybe avoidance there but also like you know she's trying to bring presents and not doing a great job <laughs> of the presents at least for Joyce, but, um, you know, she's, she's also like, like, she's looking for ways, like you said, like she's, she's trying to, uh, wanting to talk to Buffy, but it's not just like, oh, we need Buffy to help figure out what's going on. Cause they actually figure out what's going on. Like it, right. they are able to figure that out. Um, but I, I get the sense that it's more like, you know, oh, we need Buffy because, like, well, I need Buffy because she's my best friend. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, that Buffy in the hospital with Joyce is taking a lot of time away from Buffy and Willow being together. And, mm-hmm. you know, we saw sort of last season how, you know, the when the Scooby sort of split apart that, you know, things didn't work out so well and, and sort of the result was to have them all come together and they did the spell and, you know, whatever. And so now this is supposed to be like them together, but like, it's now for very good reason. Not that like, you know, I'm sure Willow doesn't blame Buffy for being with her mom or anyway, but she's feeling the loss of that connection and feeling the loss of that, you know, ability to talk to her, even though she does have other people to talk to and, you know, isn't talking to Tara not in the same way that Buffy isn't talking to Riley, but you know, yeah, not completely different either. Um, so anyway, just, I think for me, that's, that's sort of the biggest difference is like, you know, again, we get Xander sort of focused on, well, Riley should be stepping in, you know, as, Mm -hmm. as like the next in line to lead sort of, you know, and next capable of doing the job. Um, um, he's not, and he's and not, and that, and then, you know, Willow you know, sort of Willow sort of feels that that she's, she's not, she's not, she's not, not, they're not, 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 not,
Well, and then I guess as the final note for this episode, Spike is still stalking in the basement. Yeah, well, still acting creepy. Spike, I mean, and it's, I mean, it's escalating, right? I mean, thinking yeah, back yeah. to like immediately after sort of the first realization of his feelings for Buffy, it was okay, standing outside near a tree smoking. Now yeah. he's in the basement stealing photographs. And, yeah, you know, yeah. there have been steps along the way that led him there. So, yeah. um, and and I think the thing about it, too, is that, like, it's not actually even that much of a surprise. Like, Buffy's kind of, like, somewhat appalled by it, but it's, like, it's yeah. more, like, just, like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. not, like, get the hell out of my house, but just, like, why, what, huh, what's going on? Like, yeah, yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, this has sort of been sort of incrementally approaching for some time. Um, okay. All right. On to uh, Doctor Who then, I guess. Yeah. So let's talk about Doctor Who. Let's talk about Killing the Moon. Yeah. So in Buffy, we get a piece of the moon, I guess, uh, falling to Earth and bringing a demon along with it. Now uh, we're going to the moon. Uh-huh. Uh, and as it turns out, the entire moon is hollow with something inside of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Not and falling to pieces. Yeah. And falling to pieces, right. Um, so, uh, the moon is an egg. The moon is an egg. Uh, you didn't know that? I did not know that. I was not aware of that. Uh, so, okay, that's fine. Um, uh-huh. The I'm not sure I I'm not sure about the little like spider bacteria things. Uh-huh. They're uh-huh. I mean, okay, like I get like we need some sort of like creepy manifestation. Yeah, yeah. Uh to sort of move things along a little bit, but I don't know. It just it's it's like where did where did they come from? Why why is there spider bacteria on the moon? I don't know. It's just there. Deal with it, I guess. Um the moon is an egg situation, though. Mm-hmm. So we get we get uh, the explanation that we don't actually know what the thing is inside mm-hmm. the moon. Um, the doctor suspects it's unique and has been there ever since the moon has been there some, you know, 100 million years or whatever. Yeah. Uh, he's apparently never run across anything. Interesting that because, um, like, it's not, like, the first time we've been to the moon. Uh, right, right. So, you know, interesting that he's never sort of suspected before. Mm-hmm. Uh, given that... Right, which is sort of Clara's point. How can you not have any well concepts? Surely you must have run across this idea before and I was gonna, travels. I was going to say, even, like, even with, like, Martha on the moon. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. first yeah. episode that we have there... Um, now I know there's like production reasons why you can't have like people sort of bouncing around and we get like, like they're in some sort of like stasis field or something. So like Mm -hmm. the gravity in the hospital that's like taken to the moon doesn't actually have moon gravity. Like they all just walk with normal gravity. Right. Right. Um, but still there's the sense that like, uh, what what's the year 2049 or something yeah in in this episode 
Like, mm-hmm. from 2000 and whatever, when Martha is on the moon, to, like, you know, 30 or 40 years later. Has the gravity changed that? Like, has the thing just staying inside the moon grown so much that it has the gravity that the doctor notices is different? Right, I know. Right. It's just that kind of thing. So, anyway. Sure, so, sure. those are sort of the, the technical issues that I sort of have with it. Um but I do want to talk a bit. I don't know. I know you have some like production notes and stuff, but I, mm-hmm. I do want to talk too about sort of the controversial aspects because that sure. the, the sort of more philosophical stuff is what's more interesting to me yeah, in yeah, this yeah. episode than sort of the situation mm-hmm. as a whole um, there. So yeah. why don't you well, go ahead and share what you have? Okay. So yeah, I do want to point out some of that stuff because I think it's a good lead into talking about those philosophical issues. Um, So I'll just give like the little overview. So Peter Harness is the writer. So he's new to the show. Um, He also adapted the recent BBC miniseries adaptation of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Gnarl, um, which is out there for people to go watch. um, And is a very good book and a very good miniseries. So he's sort of, he's not, you know, He's written other things, but, you know, sort of within the last year has been writing more prominent things, you know, um, for the BBC. Um, So he's sort of up and coming in that sense. Um, And he also has a two part story coming up in series nine, which has not debuted yet as of this recording. Um, So and his sort of note. So there are kind of two ideas behind this episode. One was his pitch to Moffat was just the moon is an egg and it starts to hatch. And then Moffat says, okay, what happens next? And then, you know, he gets to go and write, that was sort of his one liner, you know, idea for the episode. And then Moffat, um, I don't want to get us censored by iTunes, but Moffat told him to Hinchcliffe the bleep out of it. Um, which is a kind of allusion to Philip Hinchcliffe, who was one of the classic series producers who, his tenure was known for the kind of um, height of the Tom Baker gothic horror era of the show. So, like, hinge-cliffing it is is shorthand for, you know, make it as gothically scary as you possibly can. Um, so, what you get is this episode. So, I want to talk about the reception um, and some of the controversy, because this was quite and probably will always be a very controversial episode and for you know so not just is it one of these polarizing love it or hate it episodes but like you know actual fights uh, you know of controversy around it um you know i mean different people having different opinions on the quality of the episode just sort of in general and you know different uh more emotional responses to whatever the perceived agenda of the episode is um, oh, I also did want to mention that Jenna Coleman recently received a uh, BAFTA, a Welsh BAFTA award nomination for this episode too. So hmm. good on her. I think she deserves it from this one. Um, okay, so the controversy. Now I will link to this episode came out. I mean, almost a year ago now, but just within the last month or two, um, Harness did an interview with. Um, the Doctor Who critic Phil Sandifer for his website, um, which I will link to, which is an interesting 
interview because he gets to kind of we talk about with C.S. Lewis's idea of the authorial intent and how kind of shady a thing that can be. So what C.S. Lewis says is that the author intends and the text means and that those things might not always be the same thing. So before we talk about what the text means, we can talk about what Harness intended, which is that he thought it would be controversial but not for the reasons it ended up being, which I think is really funny. So he he was anticipating the controversy surrounding the doctor's actions in this episode, which we can get into later. You Mm. know, his sort of like, you know, peace out, I'm out of here. You know, leave, leave, leave the humans with the decision. It's your decision, yeah. His sort of abandonment of that. He was sort of bracing himself for that being a difficult thing for people to accept. Well, he, according to him, what he was not anticipating were the even more angry reactions to two things. One being the kind of, again, sometimes silly, uh, you know, reaction among Doctor Who fans to the kind of scientific implausibility of the episode, <laughs> which like is a fuzzy line in Doctor Who, you know, because it, it's again that thing of, if it's so awesome to have them pull the TARDIS, have the TARDIS pull the earth across space, what are you really complaining about? You know, but everyone has a different line of what that crosses, you know? And so the moon being an egg, which is also a sort of space dragon is a hard thing for some people to sort of accept. So there's that kind of science fantasy debate of it. Um, yeah, more so than and then, the space whale carrying Britain. More so back. than the space whale, yeah. I feel like, you know, to me, the orange spacesuits always invoke the Satan planet or the Satan pit and that. And this to me is in the grand tradition of like totally implausible, <laughs> you know, the black hole, which is like two feet over there and we're all still, you know, like we talked about kind of, right. you know, it, it has a veneer. And one of the things... Phil Sandifer and Peter Harness talk about in their episode is the way this episode kind of blends. It, it kind of seems to want to be doing hard science fiction, just the way it kind of, but then totally throwing that out between like the germ spiders and the hatching dragon, you know, it kind of also very intentionally goes against that tradition. So it sort of tries to do both things. Um, but then the other, the other probably even bigger piece, which is probably will, you know, maybe be the legacy of this episode is, you know, this question of does it, you know, how do I put it? Do, does it have a sort of abortion subtext, you know, is or is that not intentional? And if so, what side does the text fall on, you know? Mm. And I kind of feel like you could do a really interesting um, sort of critical audience response, you know, study of reactions to this episode. Because for me, my kind of completely informal poll is that, you know, reactions go so far across the spectrum that to me, it almost seems like a kind of Rorschach test of like, people right. seem to see <laughs> what they want to see. Now, that, right. could be take, that could be taken as evidence of what one of the things Harness said was like, look, if I'm going to do an abortion allegory, 
it's not going to be a very confused thing of not knowing, like, you know, I would make it make sort of sense as an allegory, whereas, and with some sort of message, whereas, you know, so he's kind of reacting to the fact of, you know, I didn't have any intention and therefore it's impossible to pin down exactly what this text is saying, you know, and, and maybe the evidence of that is that you get people with every response under the moon. So you have Phil Sandifer is very much of the opinion that that is not an accurate reading of the text that, you know, maybe there are certain elements that you could kind of link to abortion if you squint really hard, but like, that's not what this story is about. And then there are other people who say, absolutely, 100%, how could you read anything else? Certainly when I first watched it, that like, you know, declared itself to me very strongly of this story is, you know, about abortion. But then, okay, so even if we, not everybody agrees that it is or it isn't about that really, but even if you can agree that it is, nobody can agree on what the episode is saying, you know? So you get people who say, this is a pro-life episode and you get either happy or angry responses, depending on how you feel about being pro-life, you know, or the flip side being true of pro-choice, you know, if this is a pro-choice episode, then it's how you feel about that sentiment that determines how you feel about the episode, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of people certainly seem to think that there are kind of, you know, elements of that debate layered into the story. And obviously that being a very hot button topic, it, you know, inspires all kinds of reactions from people. Um, so, you know, um, which makes it really interesting to me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, think... I don't know where you'd like to start from there. That's the kind of my overview of just what I've seen on blogs and the internet and people talking about it. Um, sure. the... You know, and it's funny, I, I, I haven't been, the Moffat era doesn't have as good of DVD commentaries as the Davies era. So I haven't sort of been as diligent about it, but I did listen to the commentary for this episode with um, the director and his assistant director and even the director seemed to have a hard time coming to grips with the fact that you know this wasn't in the, he kind of was like you know well apparently this wasn't in there intentionally by the writer but even he seems kind of like that's a tough notion to sort of hit for him to overlook um but again and he kind of said like well he can kind of read it both ways and you know so it, it seems to kind of provoke a lot of really mixed reactions among people. Anyway, sure. um, what were you starting to say? So, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to sort of yeah. uh, talk about there. I think, so one, like, I mean, the writer knows what he was thinking. If he's that insistent that he wasn't thinking about one thing, that's fine, I guess. Like, mm -hmm. you sort of have to take him at his word. I mean, he could be lying, I, I'm sure. But, I, you know, we don't have any sort of positive evidence to say that he is. So, yeah. on the one hand, that's fine. I mm -hmm. think um, 
you know, I certainly in watching it, there are, it seems pretty clear to me, I, you know, there's, there's a distinction here to be made between sort of the debate that, uh, you know, uh, uh, the doctor and Clara and, mm -hmm. uh, Lundvik and Courtney have, uh, about killing, um, the creature in the moon or, mm -hmm. or, you know, the moon, um, mm -hmm. insofar as it's not like, this is, this is a different thing than what we talk about when we talk about abortion in you know in our world in our human experience because yeah. Yeah. abortion in our human experience is you have one person carrying inside of them a fetus or or whatever you know some people say child some people say fetus some say it's a person some say it's not you know uh the moon is not a living being carrying another living being Mm -hmm. inside of it so like there there's a fundamental difference i think between mm -hmm. what we have here and what we have sort of in the human world of abortion um right as far well, as what and, we and talk another about. another difference that harness points out is um you know the, the this creature being within moments of birth rather than you know sure. uh, than something um you know recently uh however recently sort of conceived as this isn't something right. that's going to hatch in you know down in the line in the future that this is something which is hatching right now yeah um right. and is potentially and is right is viable so, to live on its own and that's sort of right thing. so there definitely there are ways in which i can understand how metaphorically or allegorically it doesn't match you know yeah uh precisely with the real world sort of debate um, right. So maybe you can imagine like the first 50 million years, it would have been fine to kill it and nobody would have had a problem <laughs> in the right. sec, but you know, after that, the second 50 million year, no, I'm yeah. being kind of ridiculous, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, without getting into like too many specifics about that, like I, I just wanted to at least acknowledge that like, you know, sort of, there are some sort of fundamental differences because a lot of, yeah. you know, a lot of the abortion debate, uh, stems around that you know who who is it uh that has a right to whose body and is everyone involved even a who to begin with um mm -hmm. so there is that sort of fundamental difference there uh that said <laughs> uh yeah i mean this is you know the question here is you know what's interesting to me is that even ignoring all that, like if we're just talking about like, okay, it's like, should we kill this creature because of the mm -hmm. potential it has to kill, mm -hmm. you know, lots of humans on earth. There's no belief or even mention really of the fact of whether the creature is sentient or not. Mm. Um, for all we know, it's completely animalistic that it has mm -hmm. no, you know, what we would call human sentience or whatever yeah. that um that it doesn't even that, that even in the doctor who universe uh that it would be sentient in sort of the way that like other aliens and things are right. you know right um <clears throat> it just sort of patches and 
flies off and apparently lays another egg. So, like, it's not even a debate about, like, oh, you know, do we have the right to kill another sentient creature? It's just, Mm -hmm. do we have a right to kill this creature that we think may be a unique creature? So, Mm -hmm. you know, that to me sort of make likens it more to like uh conversations around extinction of mm-hmm. of yeah. animals you know like yeah. you know is there a right to protect or not a right but like a responsibility to protect yeah. uh you know certain rare species you know that may only have one or a few or you know whatever right uh, right and, and which is which is primary mm-hmm. the 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 responsibility to protect human life or to protect life, you know? Um, sure. And maybe the preservation of human life doesn't justify the, the extinction of another form of life, whatever yeah. that might well, be. So, and, yeah. And to what extent does destroying, destroying that life then cause our lives to either be worse or in some cases, you know, uh, like there are species of plants or, you know, possibly animals that produce substances that could be used as medicines that, you know, mm-hmm. maybe we don't have anymore. Like probably there have been, you know, plants that could have been used as medicines, but because of, you know, deforestation and that sort of thing, we right. no longer have those. And so, yeah. So like that sort of yeah. uh, debate, like, it, like I, I can definitely see that sort of thing in there too. So, um, you know, and that's, I mean, those are valid questions. And of course, there are people who fall on all sorts of different sides of that debate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the thing that makes me, I mean, the thing that makes me feel like I'm one of those who are maybe a little uh, incredulous about, uh, you know, the writer not thinking about that at all is that mm-hmm. you get like the moments of like Courtney, like yelling, you know, through the TV or the, you know, projector screen or whatever it is like, you know, just like that it's alive and we can't kill it. And, you know, like, just like, it's, it's the specificity of the language, because I think all of those plot elements, as you say, could be read in a number of different directions. But I think to me, what screams the loudest is specific word choices. Like, you know, you mentioned, I think, before we started recording, the word aborted, which sort of yeah, well, comes I very clearly get to on that the screen. Too, yeah. uh, um, I, well, I, I mean, the, the not just it's a life, but it's, it's a baby. You know, Clara and Courtney right. several times refer to it as a baby. Um, and, you know, killing, you know, I'm not going to kill a baby, that kind of thing. And... Um, and like maybe the most you kind of mentioned how much the abortion debate isn't just about you know the the baby or the fetus itself but about the right of you know the person carrying it to make a choice you know and and you get the the very to me hard to ignore moment of it's your choice womankind you know (laughs) like you know like it's not just mankind it's not humankind it's womankind you know um and it's your planet and it's your call and i as the as the male you know doctor in this situation am going to sort of step aside and let you um yeah you know well give you that that right to choose um 
And and you sort of pointed out, uh, I mean, when we were talking about sort of the ways that these two episodes um, gelled together, um, you know, you sort of pointed out how much how much of it is, you know, both of these episodes are very woman centric. I mean, okay, yeah. Buffy, like it's named after Buffy and whatever, but you know, there are sure. episodes where we've gotten Xander focus or Riley focus or you know yeah. Giles focus or whatever. Giles and Spike um, and everything. Yeah. So you know. The fact that it that this episode does focus on you know Joyce and Buffy and Dawn there mm-hmm. and then um, you know on Doctor Who well you know the two male crew members get killed pretty early mm-hmm. on and then uh, you know the Doctor sort of absolves himself from the conversation mm-hmm. and even like we learn that the you know the pre- oh, well who can make this decision well the President of the United States is a better person. Well, he can't do it. You mean she. Okay, well, yeah. even the president who could possibly do it is, you know, yeah. a woman. So, like, you know, you get this sort of, re- it seems to me it could have been done explicitly, a removal of the men folk from, you know, the conversation to allow that decision to be made by women. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, that sort of explicit, uh, you know, womankind, you know, comment. Um yeah. And the flashing of, you know, okay, so it's ironic insofar as, like, you know, we press the button to stop the bomb, and so, right. you know, the baby's not aborted. But you get a very clear split-second flash of the word aborted, you know, across mm-hmm. the bomb, uh, sort of flashing up. Like, I don't know. That seems extraordinarily difficult for me to believe that there wasn't you know, someone on set saying this is very clearly a reference to abortion. Sure. Uh, okay, I do get that, like, we talk about, you know, aborted bomb attempt or whatever, but, mm-hmm. like, you could have just had that flash up, like, all dashes or something. Like, you didn't have to use that word. Uh, right. You know, there. So, again, I feel like there's there's enough there. If, again, yeah. if it's not and it, 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 again, it's not even so much important who put it there or why, but just the fact of it all being there. Yeah. I, I do find it difficult to read it any other way, you know, yeah. um, or at least I can read it other ways, but it has to, it, I would find it difficult to exclude that reading of it, you know, right. having at least that being one layer of, Right. subtext of what the story is about um, um i i'm certainly happy to invite other readings um and i'm not at all sure that i know what the episode is saying you know but um well and that's so your mention of the rorschach test is a good one i think too because i i agree like it's one of those things where you know the way the way you watch this episode says way more about you as a viewer than it does right. about the episode itself which um, which in a way i kind of like because yeah. it it stops it and i mean not that i don't have opinions in this debate we all do but it it treats it more than just a kind of in some ways it it treats the the subject with more nuance because it allows for that debate. It doesn't tell you, I don't think it just tells you what to think. I think it very much depends on who do you side with in this argument? Who do you feel sympathy for in this situation? You know, like, 
you know, you can do a kind of reading of the doctor as, you know, um, you know, positive sort of male figure allowing women the freedom to kind of make a, fun a fundamental choice and sort of, as he says, respecting people. But you can also do a really negative reading of the doctor in this episode, especially if you're sort of emotionally aligned with Clara, you know, um, you know, like I've seen people say like, okay, this episode is clearly pro-choice because of the kind of, you know, I'm respecting you. It's about your choice. But then also like most of the episode is about Clara absolutely ripping the doctor a new one for the way. That, so it, it doesn't just allow the doctor to be the unquestioned good guy in this episode either. It, it kind of invites you to sort of like get in this really messy and painful debate. Um, and I actually really, I like that this is the kind of story they chose to, to have this really big emotional climax and break with Clara, because I feel like very few other stories would justify it. You know, it's like, you really believe that this is something worth getting this angry over. And whatever you feel about, you know, the real world debate or the story in the episode, this is worth the kind of emotion that she shows, you know? And it just, it doesn't, it's not just like any old fight with the doctor. Like this is like a really important thing. And I, and you, I think you really feel it when there's that kind of break at the end. Um, so like to me, I kind of, that treats if you have if you want to read it with the kind of abortion subtext that treats it a bit more respectfully than some other pieces that sort of use it to kind of make whatever point they're trying to make um this at least kind of maybe some people would prefer that it had a very clear you know right or wrong kind of message to it but I kind of like that it doesn't really. I don't know. I, well, I mean, I do kind of feel like the episode does ultimately take a stance. Okay. Insofar as they don't kill it. Mm -hmm. And this and, is vindicated. And, and, you know, they see the space dragon... Uh, emerge and fly off and lay a new egg and everything's okay and and that's the impetus we find out from the doctor that you know the human race is looking up and sees that there are good things out there and sort of goes off into space uh, yeah. you know for their explorations and stuff so I do kind of feel like ultimately there's a stance being taken there Mm -hmm. um, within the episode. I mean, that might also just be that you have to resolve it somehow. Like, you can't just end it on this debate of did they push or not, and, mm -hmm. you know, the clock is at one second, and then cut next week on Doctor Who. <laughs> you know, like, you, you yeah. know, uh, so so that might just be a function of you have to resolve the story somehow, and so the way they yeah. resolve it is let's, you know, let Clara save the being's life and everything turns out okay. 
Um, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> like I what mean, to do no, with that. I mean, I, I think, I think I'm with you there. Like, part of me resisting. I think the part of me that wants to resist saying what is this episode's message is the bit of me that's trying not to just project because I feel like there are so many varied responses. I'm trying not to just project my own, what I want the episode to be saying or what I feel like the episode might be saying or what it sort of means to me. But so I kind of want to allow other people to have sort of other interpretations, but certainly when I read it, like I saw it the first time, I felt like if it comes down to a debate with the doctor and Clara, the episode sides with Clara that ultimately she's correct in her critique of his sort of pomposity and, you know, negligence and, and that, you know, her relief of, you know, when she says like, I, I nearly got it wrong and I didn't. So we're supposed to feel like disaster was averted, you know, like that would have been a wrong choice. And Clara sort of made the right one in the end. Um, that was sort of how I've always felt is I'm sort of very much with her in the end there. Um, you know, and that her, her choice is sort of vindicated, like you said, by, you know, the fact that the dragon isn't, you know, um, malevolent nothing bad happens. Right. Everybody's happy. And there's no sort of ancillary effects. Like the, the shell just disintegrates. It doesn't like come crashing to earth or, um, right. 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 And it kickstarts this whole sort of future of humanity. Um, you know, so you get, so not only was this the right choice for the moment, but potentially, you know, a, a hugely central moment in the history of the universe, you know, that mm-hmm. so much of the future is maybe decided by this sort of decision. Um, you know, when you even get Lindvig saying, thank you for stopping me, you know, you even get the very pragmatic, you know, her as this sort of like, you know, willing to do something she finds, you know, uncertain or distasteful even for the sake of, you know, you know, even just the chance that it might threaten humanity. Um, She's not even willing to take that chance. You even get her kind of thanking Clara in the end for, you know, I guess, stepping in and, and taking that choice and kind of changing her mind on behalf of all of them. Mm. Um, you know, and that Clara even not only goes against what Lundvig wants, but goes against what everybody wants. Like you have all of planet Earth, <laughs> you know, voting for for something that Clara then just goes and ignores. But yeah. she's not, she's not, I don't think the episode ever like says that she was wrong to do that. You know, it seems as though no everyone has agreed that that was a good thing Um, and and we definitely i mean we sort we sort of get the doctor 
you know, his snarky response of like, you know, you made your decision and humanity made theirs. And she's like, well, I went against humanity. And he's kind of like, yeah, exactly. Like, that's my point <laughs> is mm-hmm. that, you know, you made the right one and humanity didn't, but mm-hmm. because you were there to sort of make, be the one to make the choice. Now, you know, we can argue whether that's a good position to be in, you know, all the time mm-hmm. or not. But I think, I think it's interesting that he's saying that to her because then, you know, why do we get Clara mad at him later is because the doctor abstained from making that very sort of decision that he's sort of praising her for having mm-hmm. made. So, yeah. you know, I, I want to talk a bit about that ending yeah. um, with Clara yelling at him um, because I'm not like, I'm not sure. I, I understand sort of the emotional reaction she's having i think yeah i'm not sure and maybe that and maybe that's just it like maybe that's okay good we can leave it at that okay but i she seems to be making a rational argument uh-huh. uh well she seems to be making an argument i guess the rationality of it is what's at question Except for, for debate. me okay because I'm, I'm not entirely sure. And maybe it's just that I'm not entirely sure what it is she's trying to argue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she talks about, uh, okay, she almost didn't press the button, but of course she did. I nearly got mm-hmm. it wrong. So is it, is it just fear? Like fear that what if she had hesitated longer? What if she had mm-hmm. made the wrong decision? that kind of thing. Like that seems to be part of it. Um, but then she sort of turns and blames the doctor for that. That was you, my friend, making me scared, making me feel like a bloody idiot. Is this like, like from the doctor's perspective, is that what he was trying to do? Was he trying mm-hmm. to say like, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think that he was trying to make her feel like a bloody idiot. But uh-huh. but maybe it was his way of saying, this is how I feel when I'm the one making the decisions mm-hmm. about how to save humanity. Like, you know, literally putting Clara in his shoes in a way. Right. Um, right. And then, you know, we get her saying, you know, uh, he, he, he has the comment about, you know, taking the stabilizers off the bike and kind of mm-hmm. letting her grow up. And she gets angry at that, of course, you know, don't you ever tell me to take stabilizers off my bike and don't you dare lump me in with the rest of all the little humans you think are so tiny and silly and predictable. Uh, you walk on our earth, doctor, you breathe our air, you make us your friend. And that is your moon to you can damn well help us when we need it. It seems to me, and I don't, I don't, sorry, I don't want to be the guy who's like, well, what Clara really means here is, but, but <laughs> I'm going to mansplain Clara. But, but I'm, <laughs> I, I, I feel like that's what I'm about to do. So I okay. apologize in advance with full knowledge of this is what I'm doing. Sure. I, I, it seems to me like what she's, what she's arguing about there isn't so much that the doctor's looking down on other people mm-hmm. and 
you know, don't you dare lump me in with the rest of. So there, there, there's so many little things. Right. There. There's a value there, judgment there. Like, like yeah. that she's, she's saying, one, yeah, you're making a value judgment. You know, you look, you look on all these people as tiny and silly and predictable. And you're putting me in with them. So like, yeah. like yeah. on the one, I'm above that. Yeah. On, on the one hand, she's saying, don't lump me in with them. But on the other hand, she's saying, you're on the same level as us all. <laughs> like, you walk on our earth, you breathe our air, you make us your friend, you can help us when you need it. So there seems to be conflicting pieces going on here. Because I feel like, if, mm-hmm. and here's the mansplaining part, so <laughs> I acknowledge that I could be totally wrong on this and that maybe this is, I feel like she's actually angry at the doctor making her putting her in that position of having to look down and make the decisions for all the tiny silly predictable humans who made the wrong decision and that's what she doesn't like it's not that she doesn't like the doctor doing that because what she's really saying is actually you should have been the one doing that yeah so I don't I don't know entirely how to read this whole thing because like yeah I I, I don't I don't understand sort of the rational argument that she's trying to and and again like this may go back to maybe there isn't one maybe it is purely emotional and Mm -hmm. whatever but i feel like i do feel like there's a sense where she's trying to make an argument and it just doesn't make sense to me what exactly it is because she's she's both angry about being the one to have made the decision because the doctor wasn't willing to but she's also kind of saying we're all on the same level, so why are you lumping me in with everyone? Like, it, there, there's a weird dynamic going on there. I yeah. don't, I don't know if you have thoughts about all of that, but, but I just want want to kind of talk about that one because it's obviously very, like, more so than the you know, uh, countdown climax. Is she gonna press the button? Is she not gonna press the button? Uh, this is like the climactic, you know. Yeah. Uh, part of the episode between sort of the character, you know, conflict. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and, yeah. no, I think there's, I think there are pieces of rational argument mixed in with the emotion, if that makes sense. So maybe there are a few different arguments that are maybe a little contradictory or maybe worrying with each other. And then in the mid, I think, you know, your point about fear is a big one that to me, this is very like, Buffy, who she's, you know, they're repressing emotion and then it's just going to come out when it's going to come out. And so there's a piece of this, which is just, you know, she's been sort of like, if you've had that situation where you're in a very stressful situation and maybe the emotion of it doesn't hit you until afterwards, you know, you sort of have adrenaline keeping you going while you need to be. And then afterwards, it's sort of just going to, that's kind of how I read it from like, I guess maybe like the acting point of view of like, to me, that's how Jenna Coleman plays it, you know, of like, okay, I've been suppressing all of these things I want to say, and now it's going to come out like all in one sort of rush. Um, But as far as like rational, like argument, the things that kind of jump out to me are the thing you said about to me, it's a slight critique of some kind of, you know, 
maybe hypocrisy in the doctor of, you know, the, the, the point about you walk our earth, you breathe our air, it's your moon too, is this sense in which he has taken on himself that burden of making decisions on behalf of other people for, you know, as long as we've known the character. So there's a slightly kind of arbitrary quality to why exactly this time he decides not to do that. Um, and I think like, if I were Clara, I would be feeling rather surprised about that. Like I would have maybe gotten used to the doctor making those, you know, now whether that's right or not, uh, that's a whole other question, whether he should be taking those decisions on himself, you know, maybe he should always be leaving it up to other people. And that's a totally different thing. But Clara's point seems to be, you've certainly never had any problem making decisions before now. And now here with no warning, you've, you know, put me in the driver's seat and abandoned me with no sort of support. And so I think that's, it's her kind of feeling of that lack of support from him, kind of randomly without any sort of real rhyme or reason to it. I think so that part of it, I think that's just the anger of that's the part of her that's saying, you know, that was you making me scared is I can't believe you just did that to me. Yeah. Like, you know, do you understand how terrifying that was? You know, so that's the kind of one element. The other, I think, is to go back to his maybe motivation of why did he do this? You know, the question about. Was it you know, what, why did he do this? Was it for Clara? Was it to kind of give her, here's what it's like to be me. Here's what it's like to hold the fate of your entire race in your hands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know, okay, you want to be the doctor? I'll show you what it's like to be the doctor kind of a thing. But then there's also the thing of, did he do it for Courtney? Is this, is this because Courtney's complaining about not feeling special and so we're gonna you know give her a front row seat to the most you know the biggest decision you know in history and she's gonna play an integral part and you know his kind of you know slightly proud moment of the end of oh not bad for a girl from Cole Hill School and is that special enough for you like is this all and so I think when he's kind of not clear about how much he knew, you know, that comes back to bite him. Mm -hmm. you know, like, I feel like the, the, the doctor lies never gets mentioned in this episode, but it's sort of implicit of like, there's a, you can't tell whether the doctor's lying here or not. You know, like when he right. says, I didn't know what was going to happen, you know, but I knew you would make the right, like really, if, Okay, so either he knew what would happen, in which case he's blatantly lying to Clara in and lying to her in a very stressful situation. Right. Or he really doesn't know what's going to happen, in which case, really, he's just going to totally abandon them with this, th this whole thing and let them do whatever they want and have no interference. He's never done that before. You know, why would he do that now? Sure. So I think like... Part of her is her, you know, when she kind of, when he's like, do you know, do you think I'm lying to you? And she's like, I don't know. I literally don't know. And I think there's a kind of, 
you know, I think part of the frustration is, you know, you're, he's acting maybe in ways that aren't consistent with the way he's acted in the past. And that's sort of throwing her off as to what to believe and what to trust and everything. So to me, those would be the kind of, apart from the just purely visceral emotional response, those are the actual like rational arguments that I see sort of buried in there. Um, but, but I think it's a mix of, I don't, I don't think it's like a, and I don't think it's meant to be a kind of purely rational, well-argued, you know, critique of the doctor's character. It, it's very much that I'm just coming off of, you know, an emotional high and I'm going to just like spill out every mean thing I can, you know, every everything I've been sort of bottling up for the who knows how long. Mm. Um, and I mean, with the, the scene with Danny in the end, it kind of calls back to his thing about, you know, let me know if he, you know, the, people like the doctor will make you sort of perform it to your best ability, but they can also push you too far. So I think there's a, you know, there's a sense in which even if you can agree that the doctor, you know, has good motivations in this situation or even did the right thing, is it too far for Clara? Like, you know, even though she made the right choice, even though she kind of proved herself capable, does that change the fact that this was too much for her? You know, it kind of, the process of making that decision sort of pushed her over what, she thinks her limit is, I think. Sure. Sure. Does any of that make any sort of sense? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I was looking for a solid conclusion out of it. Okay. I just, there, again, it seems to me, it seems to be quite a jumble. And, and fair enough, like that, I think you're right, like, that it's not necessarily meant to be a totally cohesive, like, philosophical argument, per se. Bullet point argument, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, that there's yeah. definitely a lot of emotion to it. It just, I guess I was looking for something more clearly stated from Clara about what her actual <laughs> problem is, and we just don't get that. So, that's fine. And maybe that's, you know, even at the end, so, okay, need to wrap up anyway you know let's talk about her and danny together because mm -hmm. he kind of doesn't believe her when she says i'm done right mm -hmm. it's you know uh well no you're not done because you're still heated about it and you know come back to you know me and and tell the doctor you're done when you're calm because if you mm -hmm. can get this sort of riled up over it then you're not really done um yeah but that might just be Danny Pink mansplaining. Right, right. <laughs> I I have to admit, I do get a slightly mansplainy overtone from Danny at the end there. You know, I guess maybe that's always the way when one person's really upset and the other one is trying to be kind of calm and rational. There there can be that slight degree of like, nah, I don't really want to hear all your wisdom. 
in this moment, you know? Um, but I mean, I think his point is a good one about like, you know, when she says like, when did you get to be so wise? And he says, same as anyone else, I had a really bad day. So you kind of get that, like, it's not that he knows everything. It's that he's been there, you know? And right. he even says, you know, he's been there specifically with his experience in the army right. um, and, and had mentors like the doctor. So he can sort of, you know, understand on a very personal level how Clara feels. Um, yeah. And I think it, it is open for, you know, uh, some doubt how much she means it when she says she's done. Like, does the fact that she's, you know, you know, it, it, anger is, is just another type of like emotion, you know, and if she's still emotionally invested, how done can she be really? Um, Yep. So I think that and, that and I undercuts think, the mansplaining somewhat. Well, and I think <laughs> I think the reason I think the reason why it works is because if it were switched around, it would still work. Like, you know, if it was Clara saying to him, you're not really done because you're so mm -hmm. upset about whatever. Pick mm -hmm. a thing, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, that would still be true. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like that's why I, you know. Yeah. But I'm also a man, so maybe that invalidates my opinion. Um, maybe. Anyway. <laughs> you didn't have to agree. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, okay, before we finish, I do have, I, I think we've talked more about Clara at the end there and her sort of feelings. Were you, what were your feelings about the doctor leaving? Did that sort of throw you at all did that in the, you know in the middle did, of the episode? in the middle of you know what were what was your reaction to the fact that he does just sort of peace out and say i'll see you guys at the end of the episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah um because i think that gets the 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 controversy of that does get lost in amongst all these other things that there are to debate about um and that that is i think a fairly rare thing for the doctor to absolutely abstain from you know yeah I think, an important decision so i think the other times when we've seen companions have to make sort of you know similarly important decisions on one level or another i mean mm -hmm. obviously we haven't seen any other companions decide whether or not to blow up the living creature living inside the moon um yeah. but you know other times where that sort of thing has happened, it's been either the doctor's like incapacitated or right. It's been you know, for some reason he right yeah. he was uh, you know abandoned or marooned or something somewhere. So like yeah. the doctor sort of absolving himself from the situation is interesting. We haven't gotten much really in the Moffat era about. Um, you know, fixed moments in time. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, sort of hints at it, but not as like explicit as like the Davies. Like there yeah. are fixed moments in time where you can make decisions about, right, you know, right. like, and I feel like this episode sort of has that feel to it. Like, yeah. like maybe he has some information, 
And the only thing that's missing is that explanation mm-hmm. that he can't interfere because it's a fixed moment in time and they have to make the decision. But I kind of get the feeling that that, like you could easily insert that as the explanation here, even though we don't get it. Um, I don't know. I mean, the the point about like, okay, Courtney, you know, kind of bringing her into the fold and saying, okay, you want to feel special? Yeah. I'll, I'll make you feel so special. You'll never <laughs> want to feel special again. Yeah, right. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, which is that sort of classic parent move. Okay, you right, want right. what you want. You want to, yeah. you know, live like, you know, an adult. <laughs> you're going to start paying me rent and you're going right. to, you know, yeah. do this and that and do chores and help, you know, do this. So, I kind of like if that's if that's it, then it's like like it has that feel to me um, again of that sort of uh, parental thing of like, you know, to the max. Um, mm-hmm. And not, and and it could be like multiples of these things, like it doesn't have to just be one or the other, of course. Um, I don't know how much I believe. I mean, the doctor retcons himself all the time, so I don't know how right. much. Him saying after the fact that it was me taking off the training wheels. Uh, I don't know how much I believe that, maybe to a certain extent, but I guess what I'm boiling it down to is I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, I just don't know. Like, I don't. It seems well, like he it, has it, a reason and like it seems like he knows things are going to work out okay. And so in that regard, it's like like I can understand I can understand that thing of like okay, you know, there comes a point where like, you know, so I have children. I you know, there are times where things that they do make me nervous, but I also have to realize like both of them are into double digits now in their age. And like, you know, there are certain, there are certain things where me saying, no, you can't do that because it could be dangerous is more of a hindrance to them in their life than to say, Mm -hmm. okay, yes, you can walk home from school, even though you have to cross a busy street and, you know, there could be dangers and I don't really like the friend you might be walking with and, you know, like those sorts of things. So, you know, ultimately they will be stronger people for that. And you have to just sort of like, you have to go against all of, you know, the first decade of your parental instincts (laughs) of protect, 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 and, you know, defend, defend, defend. Um, But you just have to do it. I, the thing is, to me, just like on a completely visceral level, it just doesn't feel that way when he leaves. Mm. It it does feel more like sort of what Clara is saying is that, you know, he abandons them mm-hmm. in the moment of need when they need his advice and counsel and decision-making capabilities. Um, I, you know, I, but again, I don't have like, I don't have a, argument for that it's just the feeling right it the way the way that it sort of happens it just yeah. feels to me like it is kind of an abandonment so i don't and given that the doctor lies and retcons and you know re-explains and puts things in yeah. different lights all the time you know after the fact i'm not sure we can 
we can wholly trust <laughs> the explanations right. he gives there. So right, right. Which again, I think you've articulated Clara's position very well there. Of a, you abandoned me when I needed you, and B, I can't trust that what you're telling me is the truth. And so, I think those are her maybe two most valid arguments in amongst all the other stuff that's going on. Sure. Um, sure. You know, which I think are. You know, again, I feel like the episode does side with her, whether or not you can find good motivation within what the doctor does. I think certainly from her point of view, you can understand why she would say those things and feel that way. Um, and, and, and I mean, with the ambiguity, too, of the way that Capaldi plays it, I don't think, you know, there's a kind of like, there's a like flippant quality to the way he does it, which is really unsettling to me. Like even more so than the kind of weighty, it's your choice womankind is the kind of the way, right. the way at the end, that kind of, nah, it wasn't my decision. I told you, you know, kind of shrugs. Like, what do you want? You know, like that just feels yeah. so unlike the doctor to me. And I'm trying to figure out not necessarily unlike the doctor in a kind of, oh, it's inconsistent characterization kind of way. Like it doesn't, it doesn't bother me from like a storytelling point of view. It's like, that feels like a genuinely alien moment of the doctor mm. not being on the same page as, the, as Clara and as the audience of like, you know, not that it's not important to him, but there seems to be, um, somewhere there's a miscommunication of like, he is working on one level and we're working somewhere else, you know? And it's really not until Clara, you know, really lets him have it that he even kind of hears that there's a problem here, you know? Um, so yeah, there's something about the way Capaldi plays it too, that I don't quite know where he is and where he's coming from, which I think makes it, all the more sort of unsettling sure. from the doctor. Yeah. All right. Well, we're way over, so we are, and we should probably. Yeah, I mean, this this was this was an interesting episode. I I'm not. I'm I'm still not entirely sure if I like it or not. I okay, guess yeah. I, I guess the fact that we've talked a lot about it. I mean, there's certainly value in it. Um, yeah. So you know. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting one. I'll, I think I, I, you have even, to give it that it's interesting, and it's quite whatever you feel about it. There's certainly a lot going on. I, so, and it's like I, I already have plans to watch Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell anyway. Like I just re uh -huh. recently read the book, yeah. uh, so I'm even more intrigued to see how he yeah. adapts that, um, yeah. and if there's any sort of. Uh, I mean, obviously, characters are very different to begin with but like you know what, sure. what sort of similarities from just even a plot lines yeah you know a writing you know a scripting perspective and and yeah all of that there might be yeah, yeah i'm really interested to see what he does with his two-part episode in this new season sure which, which i'll be seeing fairly soon and our podcast won't be too far behind so yeah um cool okay well all right Till next week. All right, see you then.